ちから Greetings! The Godfather Part 2 coming up next. Haven't seen it with Tim Sestito and Tommy Tevenet. Hello, everybody. Welcome on in. Thank you all so much for listening today. This is a podcast where one of us is watching a movie for the very first time. And today, that is Tommy. Yeah. <laughs> We're doing the Godfather trilogy over the course of three years. Um, <laughs> So, so we're locking in part three right now. We're, we're getting that in. I thought that wasn't like needed. <laughs> April twenty twenty four. It's. I don't know if it's needed. I've never seen it. So that's a double. Haven't seen it right there. So yeah, it's a double. Ready. Haven't seen it. Double entendre there. So yeah. we will definitely. We'll work on Godfather three. It's not. Does not have the prestige or the appeal of yeah. Godfather Part two. Uh, Tommy. So general thoughts for you, I know, I know we'll dive much deeper into this movie because there's there's a lot to cover. Yeah. It's a pretty long movie. Um, yeah, it's a fucking long movie. Uh, we picked a terrible movie for me to procrastinate on watching for the podcast. So, um, you know, there's a very daunting task at once where I was like, shit. Um, I watched this in two parts. Um, so I watched like the first half uh, yesterday morning and then like I was like, fuck, I had plans later. So I'm like, I uh, watched part two right before we recorded. So I'm all in the world of Godfather. This would be a miniseries these days. So that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> yeah, but it wouldn't be it wouldn't be as good. And it was nice of them to put an intermission in there, wasn't it, Tommy? Yeah, I noticed I got to intermission like uh, during my screen today. I was like, fuck, if I held out like 20 more minutes last night or yesterday morning, rather, <laughs> I would have hit the intermission perfectly. More movies than intermissions. <laughs> That's for sure. Um, the Godfather 2 kind of speaks for itself. We're covering one of the most iconic movies of all time this week. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about movies that are less iconic first. Tommy, <laughs> what did you watch this week? Uh, so there's only one movie I could talk about that I've watched this week, um, and it's the exact opposite spectrum. It's another Nicolas Cage movie after we watched Valley Girl. I was in the mood for more, for more Cage in my life. So I watched this movie called... Um, Mom and Dad. It was with him and Selma Blair, where pretty much the plot of the movie is Nick Cage and other parents around the world are infected with something that makes them want to kill their kids. And that's the whole premise of the movie. And makes Nicolas Cage going batshit crazy trying to kill like two teenagers for being like little shits. And it's fucking hilarious. Can't be crazy horror fun. Um, and if you like Nick Cage going ham, then you'll love this movie. So that sounds like it's like right up your alley. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Pure schlock. <laughs> And for me, I also went on the complete opposite spectrum of the Godfather Part 2. And I watched a movie called Set It Up. It's a Netflix original movie. It's a little romantic comedy starring Zoe Dutch and um, Glenn Powell and Lucy Liu. So basically, Zoe Dutch and Glenn Powell are overworked assistants. And they're in the same building. And they realize that their bosses haven't gotten laid in a while. So they coordinate a way to get them all set up. It's a little bit of a Serrano and the Parent Trap, which they just, which they flat out mentioned in the movie. And then, of course, that's not all about it. <laughs> I'll be honest; it was a pretty cute little movie. Like it's not, you know, 
that's not winning any awards, but it was it was a fun time watching. Um, Pete Davidson's also in it as uh, Glenn Powell's gay roommate. So nice, you, have nice. Pete, you have Pete Davidson playing a gay guy, just playing Pete Davidson. So, but it was a cute, fun little romantic comedy. I would recommend it if you're looking for something, you know, 90 minute digest digestible on a on a Saturday night. It's it's a nice little movie in that regard. But you know, there's nothing too standout-ish about it. I I just thought like they had very good chemistry. Yeah, the performances were good. It passed the time. <laughs> yeah, no, it was more than that. I would say it was it was a fun little movie. I enjoyed it. I had a good time watching it. I think we have a lot to digest. We're we're gonna shorten our. <laughs> What movies did we watch? Because uh, we spent most of our time watching this movie. This is The Godfather Part 2. In a time before the struggle for power. We're both part of the same hypocrisy. Sacrifice of human lives. Keep your friends close, but your enemies closer. And battle for supremacy. Godfather is a term that was used by his friends, one of affection, one of respect. Rose, a patriarch, to protect his family. With six Academy Awards, watch The Godfather Part 2 on A-List. This Wednesday, 4.30 p.m. on Z Studio, Hollywood on television. <laughs> you got a fucking trailer from, like, some random bullshit cable channel from like yeah, some channel that probably doesn't <laughs> exist anymore. There was it was either that or the Godfather Part Two video game. I was yeah. considering doing the Godfather Part Two that video was, game because was... I thought it would have been funny, but then I heard this one and I was like, "Oh, this is funny because this is terrible. This is like it's the like worst the worst trailer. like trailer voice ever." I was like, it's, "Yeah, the god, the nerdiest they, fucking voice." They got one of the five guys working at the studio being like, "You have the best vo best voice for this, really? Are you? Are you, you can sure read. You that? read copy." <laughs> You're reading copy now, goddammit. We added it to your job title. But that trailer aside, it does not match the quality of this movie. Um, so, Tommy, just I want your general impressions. I also did this in two screenings. Um, I think that this is a movie that I'm going to need at least another watch or two to really fully process what the fuck had happened. Um, it's a good movie. It's a little daunting. I admit that, like I said, this is a busy weekend for me, so I wasn't always fully invested but i like this movie i think i prefer the first one a lot more um than this one i don't think i was really as captivated during all the michael Cor or not michael Corleone, um what's it called don Vito stuff as much um that's, as i expected that's interesting because i was waiting for the veto stuff to come on because i was completely infatuated and interested in it and i think it kind of speaks to the theme of this movie and kind of what the contrast is like, why, why are they showing both of these parts? Why are they just not, why is it just not the Michael Corleone stuff? And it's a two hour movie. Like why does Vito need to be there? And one, it's the presence of Vito Corleone and how he mm -hmm. managed his business versus how Michael handles his business and why Michael is finding himself in so much more trouble versus what Vito experienced and you see the the true rise of, of Vito you see him I, I I I don't know if I just like the editing of it uh in terms of the pacing of like uh, weaving in and out of the two stories um parts I mean like 
uh, I, I want to go off something with like Roger Ebert said. Like, I, I did like this movie, but um, he said that uh, the flashbacks give Coppola the greatest difficulty in maintaining his pace and narrative force. The story of Michael Torque chronologically without the other material would have had really substantial impact, but Coppola present, prevents our complete involvement by breaking the tension, which I feel like there's a scene, this is like almost like a TV show type thing, where it's just like, oh, we're not going to go back to the Michael Corleone story. We're going to go back and back and back. It almost feels very narrative. Uh, TV episodic almost thing where so like the cliffhanger right here. Whereas I would have probably preferred maybe a cleaner way of weaving in in, in between the two. I don't know if there's a cleaner way of doing it without like shortening it, but there's only like one, there's only two veto flashbacks that are really long. The other ones are pretty short. It's the the first one where he gets introduced to the Don, and the second one when he kills him. Those are the two, like, true, the, those are the ones where it's like, that's like an hour of the movie. And then the rest of them probably com- comprise of 20 minutes of them. I do mm. think it does, it, it can cut from the tension. Granted, this is probably my third or fourth watch through of Godfather 2. So I'm very familiar with the movie. Um, and for me, it, it was looking at, I was spending this time a- trying to analyze Michael Corleone and what went wrong for him. And part of it is just the changing of the times. But the other part of it was the intimidation factor and how Michael used intimidation versus how Vito used intimidation. Um, I have a scene here, and I'm going to preface this. It is in mostly in Italian because most of that movie is in Italian, but I think De Niro needs to be experienced. And this is when he, he is now the Don. and his wife's friend needs is getting kicked out of her apartment and this is just him confronting the landlord so tommy and i will now and by tommy and i I mean i will now translate the context of that scene is that he is asking him to take the tenant back. He had already given, the landlord had already given it back to the, to a new family. Um, he hands him a stack of money and he's, and then he's like, and the dog comes back because there was a whole situation with the dog getting, you know, was the reason she got kicked out of the apartment. And he's, you know, he starts cursing him out when it gets really tense there. Oh, are you kidding me? I should kick your Sicilian ass up and down the street. And calmly, coolly, De Niro delivers. Hey. Take this money. Why don't you go ask about me up and down the street? Understand that I always repay a favor. 
And it's just that like calm, cool collectedness. And then like immediately after they're at the olive oil company and the landlord comes in just terrified, offering to lower the rent. And the way that they intimidate him is he's just looking at his friend. They just go back and forth as he talks and they just continue to let him stammer into his situation. Whereas if Michael was in this kind of situation, he would have just killed the landlord for insinuating that he could kick his ass up and down the street. And yeah, a little too quick uh, to like you know pull the trigger and everything like that. And and Vito is and it, it granted it's just the difference of the positions they're in because Vito built the business and Michael is about growing the business and quote unquote making it legitimate. But you know Michael is very intentional with who he speaks with when he is out in groups. He does not speak. He just stares and like Pacino brings that intimidation factor in there, like full front. And I think part of it is one, he doesn't, he doesn't really have the understanding of what his father actually did to get him the respect of being called Godfather. And it's because, you know, the mafia was a protection for a community. It wasn't running casinos and setting up business establishments in Cuba. That's not what he did. And it ultimately leads to this much darker chapter. And you can kind of even see it um, right at the beginning of the movie when they have the party for the first Holy Communion. Mm-hmm. And and it's a great contrast to the wedding at the beginning of Godfather. But like, you know, they're not playing the Italian music. The Italian culture is not there. and, and It's not um, prominent at all. I mean, pretty much... Uh, I do like how both movies decide to open up with a wedding each um, in that aspect, because, you know, just really the compare and contrast where it's just like the first one seems like extremely Italian or like that. And just also just showing how, like, you know, immediately in the first movie, people were like speaking to uh, what's his name? Um, Marlon Brando, Vito, being like, oh, like, you know, on the day of my daughter's wedding, you'd say this and this and this and, you know, how iconic that is. And this one pretty much the center just saying to Michael Corleone, like, I'm not fucking scared of you. Like, you're going to have to pay me more if you want to get this. No one respects no one respects your ass. So it's just kind of the difference in power, too, that the two men exhibit. And then, so it was Pentangelini who was who served under his father and under him, who's still running the New York. He even has the old home back in New York under his name. And, you know, he goes up and he tries to get the conductors to play the... So he... They make the comp- they make the the absolute joke of of that song by playing. I think Yankee Doodle was that what they went on over? Yeah, they went over Yankee Doodle. So on this character a lot. Uh, pretty much, he was supposed to be uh, Clemenza again. Clemenza was supposed to be back in this movie and testify against the Coriolans. But the actor Richard S. Castellano um, wanted to write his own lines and wanted a huge salary increase, and so. He was pr- pretty much uh, replaced by Pentagon, which is pretty much probably the best character replacement in any sequel, where it's just essentially, you can see kind of the parallels of how this could easily be Clemenza, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. It's it's very much in line with the character. And it, for, for you know, but like even the dinner scenes where, Pen- like in The Godfather 1, he was accepting all requests. And for any small or large thing, right, it was the... It was the funeral home guy who whose daughter was getting assaulted by her husband and they were taking care of it. Like he was helping the common man. This was just helping his, his business. That was all these meetings were. 
and mm -hmm. like the they call it the family but the family oriented side of the business had fallen the connection with the people had fallen and then in in that of itself the family then falls out of favor and it's why we see both timelines is seeing what Vito did to gain the favor and what Michael did to lose the favor and end up in trial yeah uh I mean overall I mean where do you rate this compared to the first Godfather better I mean it's darker it's a lot darker of a of a film I would say um in terms like I mean, they're both dark movies but this one it doesn't do the glorification of the mafia the way that Godfather one does and in Godfather 2, it's a lot more of the, you know, he, Michael ends up getting betrayed by, by Fredo um, over his business dealings with Hyman Roth. He was a business investor who was not in the first movie, but they brought him in into this movie. Mm -hmm. um, and he was ended up ultimately getting betrayed by Fredo because um, it opens with Michael after the party having Hitman go on his life, take an attempt yeah. of his life in his bedroom. Um yeah, I, I mean, I, I have to say, I probably think that uh, Godfather 1 is probably a lot more rewatchable for me. Um, I think that it was just kind of paced a little bit better. Whereas this, my main complaint of this is sometimes the pace is a little bit slower than I would expect. Whereas I didn't really feel the three hours as much when I was watching Godfather 1. Um, I'd say that in that aspect. So, I mean, like, you know, this is always talked about one of those movies that, like, everyone says, uh, great sequel of all time, even better than the first. And I personally am feeling more of just, you know, Godfather 1. I'm, if you're telling me which movie I had to watch on like a rainy day, I'd probably say like, the wrong Godfather 1 for me. Much, uh, James Caan obviously is kind of missed throughout this movie like, for me personally. But it's just kind of the contrast right there. I mean, you know, this movie is uh, broken up. This is a prequel and a sequel at the same time, which is a daunting task. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, you have to admit it, uh, being a prequel and a sequel at the same time, it it, it does it handles it masterfully. Mm-hmm like yeah. as well as it can and for for you then with the the twist of fredo did you did you know the the i knew it was you fredo you broke my heart no i didn't to be honest i didn't even remember fredo in the first movie <laughs> well he's kind of like a non-player but he becomes more because the whole point of his character is that he's incompetent he yeah he's he's not well, made out for, I, he's not made out to handle big decisions exactly i mean i i think that his character though was good throughout i mean to be honest, I haven't watched The Godfather since we uh, covered it last year. So, I mean, this is pretty much like a full 365 days later, like, hey, throw back into this, which I guess was kind of like people in the 70s were feeling at the same time, too, because, you know, wasn't like this on home video back then. Back then, Fredo, I think his final scene was just when he knew he was fucked when um, he was like, oh, Michael, like, uh, Michael's uh, son doesn't need to come anymore. Like he, he says to not to come up for a fishing trip. In that moment, that dude knew, like, oh, I'm fucked. <laughs> and when they say the Hail Mary and Michael kills yeah. his three men, again, yeah. another parallel, but it's not as, it's not pictured as, as climactic and as like heroic, quote unquote, in as it was in Godfather, because he was, he was cutting off. It just showed that Michael, no matter what, wanted the results his way because he kills Hyman Roth, uh, Pentagelli, and Fredo all at the same time. But for you, what did you think of like the Cuba situation? And like I mentioned the twist before, like how did that, like did you realize it before Michael declared it to Fredo at the party? Or like like did you get the hint of the scene where where 
Michael finally put it together? Um, I, I I pretty much figured it was Fredo almost immediately when um, Fredo got that call from that one guy. I was like, oh, I don't know who you're talking about. I don't know what you're doing. That's pretty much just showing the guilt right there. <laughs> yeah, and there are other hints too, right, with, right when they're out in Cuba um, and they're having the daiquiri and he goes like, Michael, you know, I, I was really mad at you. And Michael cuts him off and tells him something else entirely and Fredo kind of pockets it. But then it's when they're at this weird... I guess it's a, a sex show. I'm not entirely sure what it is, where Michael starts to, to connect the dots and confirms for sure that it was Fredo. bongos the consistent percussion and then just fredo slipping up and just showing his lack of intelligence and situation explaining to the senators like how he found this place mm. oh it was through johnny ola you know who was uh hyman roth's right hand man and because michael had his suspicions that that it was hyman roth and he told pentangelini that that was the case to make peace with the other family that they were having issues with um, to make sure the deal was in place. And I just love the way that it, it characterizes Michael. And that is, you know, in Godfather one, when Michael kills the police sergeant in the, in the restaurant, that's a changing point for Michael. In Godfather two, when he discovers that Fredo was the one who betrayed him, that's the, the changing point and the evolution for him that he's never going to trust anyone again and that's when he basically loses his soul and he just mm -hmm. looks at people as entities he doesn't look at them as people anymore if i had to say one thing about this movie where i felt that it was a little lacking in definition was with with k and i, and I, I know it was by design because diane keaton's barely in this movie yeah, they pretty much <laughs> underwrote her a lot in this movie. Whereas in the first movie, she was pretty much like a central focus. I mean, um, I think the most haunting shot was pretty much where, like, towards the end of the movie, where Al Pacino just closes the door right in her face and just like the look her face has, like, right before he does that. It's just like, oh my God. And pretty much just like, I don't know. The, the whole subplot of her was, it was all right, I guess. I mean, it was just still just shocking in the sense where it was like, like, yeah, fuck you. I didn't want your kid. <laughs> I didn't want our kid in your world. Yeah. And the way, you know, 
when Kay tells him he's leaving and he's like, I, you know, I know you blame me for the miscarriage because I wasn't there, blah, blah, blah. And she, when she just goes, no, Michael, you don't understand. It was an abortion. I chose to kill this child because I could not carry another one of your children. And then the, like Pacino, the way Pacino's eyes just like widen. I think yeah. that's his scariest moment. Shakes. Like when he, when he hits her, it, it's like a shake. It's like a, if that was a man, he would be dead right now. Um, and he just, you know, he just whacks her onto the couch. Um, mm. and you see that for him, he like that lack of humanity is, is there because Michael, after the assassination attempt, he gives it over to Tom, Robert Duvall's character to just to basically run the business while he's handling the dealings in Cuba and getting away and dealing out with who kills him. But, and the reason I think we don't see Kay and is because that isolation and that time away from Michael made her realize like, I don't want this life anymore. I don't want to live this way. And yeah, it's just, I need to get out. Because <laughs> even she was never on board to begin with, like especially in Godfather One. Like the whole end of that movie is pretty much just showing showing how she's realizing uh, Pacino's descent into fucking like you know this family crime life. <laughs> yeah, so this is just an extension of it. His descent into evil, and when he, you know, when they're dancing at the communion at the beginning of the movie. And she's like, you know, Michael, you told me five within five years, the business is going to be legitimate. And that was seven years ago. That's not, you know, that's not the case anymore. And I felt like it, it just didn't have the, like, I would have liked more Diane Keaton because she's just fantastic as Kay in this movie. But I think it was intentional by design um, to isolate her, to make her an afterthought because she is a com- and her and the family are a complete afterthought where contrasting it to Vito's story, his children, his family are with him on all pretty much all of his dealings. So when they go to Italy, his, he takes his children with him when he's traveling. She's not there. She's not a part of his life. So why does she want to remain in this loveless marriage? Yeah, exactly. It's just, shows just how much different it is from the first movie how much their whole relationship is different too and you know for you you said your main complaint is just the pacing of it with between the italy sections and the or you know the young de niro sections and the and the michael stuff i feel like more and more i watch this movie the more and more you see the parallels between the the two stories and and why it was why the prequel had to be a part of the sequel because Michael doesn't, he spends like a minute of screen time with his children and Mm -hmm. Vito spends pretty much most of his time with his children, his wife, his family. And Mm -hmm. it's, it's another important thing that, that we need to see as an audience, because the whole thing is like, why was, why was Vito so successful where Michael was not successful? And that's, that's the big contrast there. And and even Michael goes to his mother being like, what did dad do that I'm not doing? Asking that question. And then they cut to the, the scene with the, with the, with the, um, with the landlord, just helping a little old lady. Mm. And that's not what his family does anymore. And it, it just shows like the just... mafia only really works as a family business. It doesn't work. It doesn't work when it's, 
an enterprise when it's trying to go global. Yeah, uh, I mean, in general, I, I just feel like it, those uh, De Niro scenes just weren't paced nearly as well to me. I mean, there's some scenes that are a little bit cool, but some of those just like, okay, like, I don't know. That's this struggle sometimes we have a movie that's like at this point, what, uh, three hours and change or whatever like that. Like, you know, there's some stuff where it's like you don't need every scene of De Niro in this, I feel like. <laughs> Sacrilege as that might be. I, I think you do. Like, I, I think... I think it it enhances the movie because I think if you just got the the Michael stuff, like I don't think this movie hits as hard. You're just like this guy's kind of a dick, and he's but like part of it is Michael trying to figure out what he isn't doing right, and he and he can't see what what it is, and it's that his ego and his smarts are just getting the best of him. That he's just not, he you know he can't put aside that he is very very intelligent and very very calculating but he can't put aside the fact that he's not help he's not helping people in the community in the neighborhood that that need help and just because that part of the mafia is starting to go away like that community community protection as like police squads and stuff start to actually build up and and rise and people don't need the kind of protection that they once needed yeah, I, this is the social changes, I guess. But like, I I do think that yeah, we could have seen, we still should have had the Daniel scenes. But I feel like it didn't wasn't as narratively interesting to me <laughs> of the two halves. I am a star. I'm a star. I'm a star. I'm a star. I am a big, bright, shining star. So, Tommy, I think we have an interesting debate here. Who is the star of this movie? Is it De Niro? Or is it Pacino? Um, De, Niro, De Niro ended up winning the Oscar for this. Pacino did not win an Oscar for both of his portrayals as Michael Corleone. Vito Corleone is one of two characters to have an actor win best best actor in some category. Yeah, um, him and Pacino, uh, him and the Joker. <laughs> yeah, they're the they're, they are they are the only two characters that that have that distinction. Um, who do you who do you think steals the show more? Um, I I think that this is mostly Pacino's movie and uh, to run away with. I mean, like like I was saying, the De Niro is good, but I mean, I've seen De Niro be a lot better in other uh, movies and especially other mob movies. Personally, for me, um, Pacino really just gives a really nuanced performance. We see more layers of Michael Corleone, and like you know, the final shot of this movie of him just staring out in the lake is just haunting, or just the man realizing like how he's fucked up and where his life is now. So um, I'm going with Pacino here. So I, I'm going to take the opposite side with you. I'm going to go De Niro. And it's not that both of them are fantastic in this. This isn't a slight on Pacino versus De Niro. But I think thing about this, the movie is three years after Godfather, after one of the most iconic performances by Marlon Brando. And De Niro has to then encapsulate that character and kind of put his own twist on it and for De Niro and Pacino especially they're usually much bigger more bombastic performances and they're both very reserved in this um and with Vito I think it's just the way he makes him his own makes him the younger version of Vito 
while keeping the the trademark characteristics of kind of being silent, speaking when speech is needed, and just like fully embodying that. Also, it's crazy how skinny De Niro is. He looks like he's 130 pounds in that movie. So yeah, yeah was, that was one thing that was insane about it too. But um, I'm trying to think of where this was in terms of the De Niro canon. I mean, this wasn't his first big movie, right? Mean, I mean, like mean was... Streets had come out, but Taxi Driver is a year later. Yeah, yeah. So it's just like right. This is pretty much right in for the between the hit of like you know was the, dis- the, the discovery and then the one of uh, two iconic performances back to back. Yeah. So, um, I mean, like, pretty much uh, who won the movie would be obviously De Niro in this case. But, I mean, like, I think Pacino's more of the star. So, Yeah, and he gets the most screen time, and it is more his story. But I just, I love uh, De Niro's performance in this. It's just, it's truly, it's an iconic performance. And the fact that it's all in Italian and it's all compelling, at least to me it was. For you, do you think if they spoke in English... Would it have been a little more easier for you to to? No, no, no. I was totally fine with the subtitles. I mean, like um, at that point, I was, I was totally had <laughs> no issue with it. Um, I just don't think there was as much narratively to chew on as the movie allotted in terms of screen time. <laughs> and it's I just it, well, it's supplemental. It's it's not it's not supposed to be the primary story. It's supposed to supplement and make you think about what his father did and at the around the same age as Michael's doing. And that's that's the contrast, and that's what makes this, I think, what I make what I think makes De Niro's performance stand out so much. Ah, are you ready, comedy partner? Waka waka. Tommy, would The Godfather Part Two work as a Muppet adaptation? Um, I, I feel like you could have some characters be Muppets right here. I mean, if you had um, Pettigalini as like freaking um, Waldorf, <laughs> he pretty much looks like a Waldorf to begin with. Uh, that would be the end you get in there. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I think it would be funny. I think it would not get through its three hour, 20 minute runtime just based off the After a while, nature. yeah, you would just get so bored or just like, okay, Muppets. It's like, you have to be so freaking zany, a three hour Muppet movie. I mean, we haven't had the great Muppet caper. I mean, we haven't had the epic Muppet caper. <laughs> That's what we need next. Yeah, the, the the Muppets tackling the Godfather would be quite an epic. I wish I went back and heard what we said when we did the original episode, but I imagine it was probably very similar of like, I mean, it would be funny to see like a scene of it done, but I think if we did three hours and 20 minutes of <laughs> the Muppets and the Godfather, it wouldn't exactly be a hit. I imagine it's just like the same exact movie, except it's just Muppets. <laughs> <laughs> honestly that'd be and they don't that'd mention it. they don't mention it they don't mention it at all it's not even brought up it's just like all right now that would be funny if they and if they kept the same voices too and they just <laughs> used like ai to cast all the muppets with all the characters wait i see that thing on fucking like instagram all the time of like people doing like sylvester stallone and arnold schwarzenegger in different movies or something like that or like in love actually or something so like they deep fake it so we need that deep fake technology from the muppets specifically <laughs> the muppets specifically in the godfather yeah we'll, we'll see we we will see when we publish it on our youtube page and get it copyright stricken by disney and paramount within within five seconds but tommy i'm a little nervous right now give me your score out of five <laughs> Uh, so, I mean, as critical as I did see in this episode, I mean, overall, this still was a great, solid movie. Um, 
I mean, Pacino, all the returning cast is great. I love the uh, Pentaglini as uh, Pentaglini. I don't, I don't even know if I'm saying it right, but I thought he was a great addition to this cast. There's a reason why he's nominated for an Oscar. Um, I just think that the pacing could have been a little bit better between the two uh, scene between the two different narratives. Uh, so, and I didn't find the De Niro stuff to be nearly as captivating. So I'm gonna go. I'm thinking four out of five here. So I mean, I still think it's a solid movie, but I don't know. <laughs> That was your same score you gave. That was the same score you gave Godfather one. No, no, no. I gave Godfather one four point five out of five. I I remember. Do you do you think you would update that to a five out of five now? I I mean, if you're asking me if I'm going to watch The Godfather anytime soon, then no. (laughs) uh, I I I genuinely hope that you do watch Godfather two again. And now that you kind of have a better under, now that you know what's going on, it definitely pays off over multiple mm -hmm. rewatches because like more of the narrative. Now that you're not wondering what's going on with what scenes are which, you see the the parallels more and more kind of creep through. And like while that pacing for a one for a linear narrative disrupts it for like the thematic narrative of it, it's there. Um mm. to add on to that, I give this a five out of five. It is one of the greatest movies ever made. It is it has had that distinguished title since it came out. Is it better than Godfather 1? I think they're two very different movies yeah, and telling two very different stories. And I think it's hard to say one is better than the other. I think they just kind of go hand in hand together. Um, The acting is fantastic. The score is fantastic. The set pieces are fantastic. It's one of those movies that, again, they'll be talking about it in 150 years. You and I will be long buried in the ground. They'll still be talking about Godfather 2 and 1. 5 out of 5. If you haven't seen Godfather 2 or Godfather 1, watch both of them. In back-to-back screenings, too. You won't get tired after like eight hours. <laughs> it's like when I try Lord of the Rings, all three movies back-to-back-to-back. Yeah, and, you're, uh, yeah, and that's why I don't like those movies either. <laughs> it's say 12 hours. <laughs> so, Tommy, any final thoughts before we end of um, this episode uh when you watch a like three and a half hour movie make sure you uh take note if there's an intermission or not and then plan your watch around that so that'd be my final thought for Godfather too but anyways thank you guys so much for listening uh you can follow us on social media that's um and see it pod at student pod um on twitter instagram tiktok um you know all the good sites and uh leave us a five-star review apple spotify wherever you get your podcast it really helps us out and get uh help spread the show so uh, we're still figuring out next week. I think we're, we're thinking Whiplash. So um, there's between if Whiplash and Evil Dead remake, <laughs> which I'm uh, really gunning for because New Evil Dead comes out uh, next week, and I'm really gunning for it. I'm going to be watching it. I'm doing an Evil Dead marathon this week, so it's been straight in my mind. So, <laughs> so maybe we'll do that. May, Tommy, should, let's should we make it a poll for Twitter. <laughs> yeah, let's make it a Twitter poll. Let's decide the episode. We'll throw it up tonight, and then. We will, and then you guys vote on it, and then you tell us which episode you'd rather see, and <laughs> hopefully you pick Whiplash because I I don't have any interest in the Evil Dead remake, <laughs> which is why we should cover it because we need an episode of us shitting on each other's tastes. All right, fine, fine, fine. Let's make an executive decision here. We're we're doing Evil Dead remake for Tommy, and then we'll do Whiplash to kick off May. Okay. <laughs> so get ready, guys. Uh, so once again, follow us on social media at Seen It Pod. Thank you, guys. Thank you all so much for listening. We will see you next week.